0: Let's pray together. Lord God, we stand in all of you, Lord, as we always do. Mainly because you're God, and you created everything. But Lord, we stand in all of you for a lot of other reasons, too. And that is, we have the Word. Jesus Christ, we have your Word, the Bible, we have your Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Lord, we we can't even comprehend all of those things together. I mean, it's amazing. Lord, we praise you and we thank you for all those things. We thank you for the Spirit's guidance on a daily basis. We thank you for the Word's guidance on a daily basis. We thank you for the fact that we are attuned to your will for our lives because we love you and you died for us. So why should we not do that? And Lord, we praise you because we can come together. We can fellowship with each other, enjoy each other. And we can also study your Word together. or we can learn from your Word. We can utilize that word in, in our own lives, of course, but in sharing your word with others so that others would have the same hope and assurance that we have in the salvation that we've received by believing in your Son, accepting what he's done for us. So Lord, be with us as we study this morning. Let your spirit guide us. Give us the words to hear and to say and to use. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're in Hebrews chapter 11. And today we get to talk about the father of our faith. And who's that? Abraham. I think it's interesting that uh, we can live our lives by sight or by faith. It's our choice. We have never seen God. We've never seen Jesus Christ. We've never seen heaven. We've never seen hell. We've never seen the Holy Spirit, but we've certainly experienced him. No question about that. But... We haven't even seen, actually, we haven't even seen one original manuscript of the Bible. Think about that one. One original manuscript. All of the originals were destroyed. But what we have, we have proven through the Dead Sea Scrolls and other sources, that we have the best authenticated book in the history of man, because there are over 25,000 manuscripts that text back exactly the way we have it in our word, Whereas the best of mankind's manuscripts, there's only a half a dozen or so of things. And so we have this word has been preserved ever since the first book was written. And probably the first book that was written was written by Moses, of course, in the Old Testament and by Mark in the New Testament. So we have that. And we've seen the results of Scripture, right? We have seen it, definitely. We really have seen and actually observed virtues. Graces, results of being a faithful Christian. And we rely on God's promises. And how do we do that? Well, we don't see him, but we we'll rely on him by faith. That's the way people have always lived, who lived by God's grace. Abraham is a composite of all of God's patterns for faith. It shows us by example the life of true faith, and we'll get into exactly what that means. There's things that we he did, Abraham did, that we also do, and we need to concentrate on those things. Abraham was the father of the Jewish people. Yes. He was presented to the Jews <clears throat> as the most significant example, not of the Jews, but of faith. Now, Abraham was much more than just the father of the Jewish people, from which he could from which came obviously the Messiah but he was father of the faithful and everyone who lives today by faith can count Abraham as their father today though rabbis of the Jewish religion still teach and they did back then that Abraham knew God because of what he did works Abraham was not righteous in himself he was not he was counted righteous because God recognized his faith. Now the Jews had always and still do look at Abraham the wrong way. As a matter of fact, they consider themselves to be special simply because they're descendants of Abraham. Are they special? Yeah, they are. Does that set them apart from the rest of us as far as salvation is concerned? It has nothing to do with it. The New Testament makes it clear Abraham was the first man the very first man, to be titled the man of faith. And when was that? 2000 BC, approximately, when Abraham lived. Now, think of it from the other direction. What was the age of the earth when Abraham lived? 2000. It had been 2000 years since creation when Abraham lived, and it's been 2000 years from Abraham to Jesus, and now it's been 2000 years from Jesus to us. So that's the six thousand years of creation, right there. So, all of mankind, you are Gentile who trusts in God by faith, is a is a child of Abraham, not by genealogical records or anything like that. Simply because we trust God by faith, and so did Abraham. And he showed us the way. I'm going to read you from Galatians chapter three, verse seven. It says, know and understand that it is really the people who live by faith who are the true sons of Abraham. That's in the New Testament, Galatians 3.7. So we are sons of Abraham because he was the first true man of faith. Now, let's go back for a second. What did Abel show? He worshiped God correctly, right? What did Enoch show us? He walked with God correctly. What did Noah show us? he was obedient and what's abraham showing us to live your life by faith faith in his promises faith in what god has promised us okay and that's what we always do we do that we do that Whether we think about it much we do now abraham was the was the first established man of faith we're going to look at five features of faith that he actually exhibited and that's what we're going to talk about this morning from these verses and that's in Hebrews chapter 11, and it's verses eight through 19. I'm gonna read those and then we can go into it in detail. So follow along with me, I'm reading from Amplified once again. Urged on by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and went forth to a place which he was destined to receive as an inheritance. And he went, although he did not know or trouble his mind about where he was going to go. Prompted by faith, he dwelt as a temporary resident in the land which was designated in the promise of God, though he was a stranger in a strange country, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs with him of the same promise. That's Genesis 12. For he was waiting expectantly and confidently. There's that faith, looking forward to the city, which has fixed and firm foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And what's he talking about there? He's looking forward to what city there? That would be heaven. So because of faith also Sarah herself received physical power to conceive a child, even though when she was long past the age for it, because she considered God who had given her the promise reliable and trustworthy and true to his word. In other words, she had faith. So from one man, we'll talk about that a little bit more. So from one man, though he was physically as good as dead, (laughs) I love that. Thank you, God. That was a great thing to say. (laughs) There have been sprung descendants whose number is as the stars of heaven and as countless as the mineral sands of the seashore. These people all died, controlled and sustained by their faith, but not having received the tangible fulfillment of God's promises, only having seen it and greeted it from a great distance by faith, and all the while acknowledging and confessing that they were strangers and temporary residents and exiles upon the earth. In other words, all of those people he's talking about there died without knowing Christ as Savior, and that's a problem for them today. They have not been truly saved. They're in heaven because of their faith, right? But they aren't truly saved yet, and they don't not going to receive their immortal bodies at the same time we do. We get that privilege because we believe in Christ, and we're going in the rapture whether you die or you're dead or you're alive, and we will receive our immortal bodies. But the, the people from the Old Testament won't do that until just as Jesus comes back with us to their. Then they receive their immortal body, okay? They're in heaven, they're, that's, that's fine, they're in heaven. They're just of a distinctive dispensation. They're from the dispensation of the law and we're not. It's all heaven, they're, they'll still be there. It's gonna be interesting. We're going to be in heaven in our mortal bodies, right? They're not. So, the old question about what happens to those who die and are up in heaven right now, what form will they take? We'll know because we'll see all those people in the Old Testament. We'll know how, what kind of form they took because they haven't, won't have their immortal bodies yet. Do what I'm saying? That makes sense? Their spirits are there. Yeah. I think you'd probably be able to tell who they are and everything else, but they won't have an immortal body like we don't have flesh like we'll have flesh. Jesus has flesh, right? He does. We will too. Yes, sir. Yeah, we'll know them. Absolutely. Just like everybody knows everybody now. You know, Christians and Old Testament saints in heaven today, they know each other. bodies. Yes. What we're talking about will be sinless. Yes. And then Yes, sinless and powerful because we'll be above the angels and we will be judging the earth with Christ in the millennium. So what does that mean? I don't know. That's just what the Bible says. Well,
1: you
0: think you'll have hair? You want to come up and look at my head? I have hair. You want to see it? It's right there. You can see it. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Brian's just being Brian. You guys, that's just what he does. Let's keep reading. <laughs> now, those people who talk as they did show plainly that they are in search of a the fatherland, their own country if they had been thinking with homesick remembrance of that country from which they were immigrants, what they left, they would have found constant opportunity to return to it. So they weren't thinking of where they came from. But the truth is that they were yearning for and aspiring to a better and more desirable country. That is a heavenly one. For that reason, God is not ashamed to be called their God, even to be surnamed their God. For instance, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when he was put to the test, and boy, was he put to a test? We've got to talk about that. While he was testing his faith, he was still in progress, had already brought Isaac for an offering. He who had gladly received and welcomed God's promises was ready to sacrifice his only son. Of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your descendants be reckoned. For he reasoned that God was able to raise him up, even from among the dead. Indeed, in the sense that Isaac was figuratively dead, he did actually receive him back from the dead. Do you know that's the very first time Abraham and his son Isaac, the very first time anybody ever thought about resurrection? Just never was anything anybody thought of before. But Abraham was promised that through his son Isaac, millions would come and the, the Savior would come. He was promised that. And yet he was willing to sacrifice his son and God would resurrect him from the dead. Interesting. First time it was ever thought of. I thought that was an interesting point as well. Okay. So we're going to look at five features. Number one, Abram had to go through a pilgrimage. Well, we'll talk about that. He also had patience instead steadfastness of faith. Why do I say that? Cause when he was promised to have that son, it didn't happen for 10 more years. Whoa. Number three, he had God-given power through his faith. Talk about that. Also, the positive and constant attitude that he had. Po- positive? That's a biggie. But constantly positive. Whoa. I don't think many of us in here can say that. And number five, the assurance and the proof of his faith. So number one, we're going to go into the pilgrimage. Let me see, talk about this pilgrimage. Number uh, Verse eight. It says, once again, going back to that one, it says, urged on by faith. Abraham, when he was called, what did he do? Obeyed immediately. Now that word obeyed in your Bible, in the Greek, it's obeyed immediately. And went forth to a place that he was destined to receive as an inheritance. And he went, although he did not know or trouble his mind about where he was going to go. Now, It's interesting about that too. He didn't go straight to Canaan. He went to Haran first. His father Tamar was with him, and he and his father and his uh, and Lot went to Hamar first. And so is Terah, I'm sorry, his father Terah. And they stayed in Hamar. Well, where in the world is Hamar? Well, it's in Syria, northern Syria. So actually he went from Ur of the Chaldees, which if you'll get in your mind, basically where Babylon is, or where Babylon was. That's basically Ur. He traveled all the way along the Euphrates River, all the way up to Tehran, to, uh, And that's a city in northern, northern Syria, southern Turkey, if you will. And he stayed there until his father died. And I don't know how long that was. So it was quite a while. Then he went south, through south, all the way down to Canaan. All those places he'd never been to before in his life. He just believed God. and said, this is where I was supposed to go. So here I go. Um, he just went now who was Abraham before all of this? Well, he was a sinful pagan heathen is where he was. He, he lived in a land of idolatry or the, the Chaldeans. It was, it was not a good place. So it was, uh, probably he had higher morals than other, anybody else did. Maybe we don't know that for sure, but God read his heart. and What he read in his heart were three things. Number one, he knew Abraham would listen to God. Now here we go with faith. Here's our faith in three stages. Number one, we have to listen to God, right? How do we do that? His word, spirit. Okay. Number two, he trusted God. He trusted that what God was telling him was true. Did God lie? No. So he told him something and he trusted it. And what's the third thing he did? He obeyed. That's the faith we have to use today. Listen, trust nobody. So the life of faith begins with the willingness to leave your own err, whatever that may be. <laughs> leave your own err. Leave the sinful, unbelieving system of the world. I'm going to read you. I'm going to read this probably a couple of times today, but I'm going to read you this verse two of Hebrew, of uh, Romans 12. It says, "Do not be conformed to this world." This age fashioned after and adapted to its external superficial customs but be transformed, changed by the renewal of your mind, by its new ideals and its new attitude, that you may prove for yourselves what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in his sight for you. So that's what Abraham did. That's Romans 12 2. Worldliness is not so much what what we do, but what we want to do. That's the worldliness, right? So it comes from the heart and the heart has to be changed because if we continue to do what we want to do, the world is going to warp us into doing things we shouldn't do. So as we accept Christ, grow in Christ, our spiritual maturity increases, and the things, the attitudes, the influences of the world decrease. Now, does that happen instantaneously and overnight? Well, of course not. Happens over a lifetime. And unfortunately, in our day and age, technology is such that new things pop up constantly. You gotta fight them off too. So our wants transform into what God wants, not what we, our sinful selves, or our natures want. So the mature Christian wants what God wants. And that's what Abraham wanted. He wanted what God wanted. And he showed it by, took off. Went a thousand miles, 500 miles to Haran, another 500 miles south down to Canaan. Never been there before. Number two, Abraham's patience and steadfastness of faith. It's verses 9 and 10. He says, prompted by faith, he dwelt as a temporary resident in the land which was designated in the promise of God. So he was a stranger. He didn't start owning land immediately. Nobody owned any land early. He was just a stranger there. In a strange country, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, following heirs with him of the same promise, where he was waiting expectantly and confidently, looking forward to the city, which has fixed and firm foundations, whose architect and builder is God. So what he said was, I don't care what I have to do in this world, Lord. I'll do whatever you want me to do, but I know I'm going to end up in heaven. That's really what I have my eyes fixed on is that but in the meantime, I'll do what you want me to do here on earth. He went immediately and he waited. That's the steadfastness, the patience that he had. God gave him the promise, the Abrahamic covenant, that he would, have, he would be the father of many people, father of a nation where the Antichrist, excuse me, the Christ would come from, the Antichrist would be against, but he had to wait a long time for that to happen. He had to leave behind friends, probably family, business, religion, everything, but he did. And he waited for decades for things to happen. His eyes were on the city, which was found has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Of course, that's heaven, like I said. And, you know, you've heard this saying before I have before. It says some people are so heavenly minded that no, no earthly good. You've heard that. Well, let me rephrase it. Let me rephrase it. It's impossible to be of any real earthly good unless we're heavenly oriented, heavenly minded. Does that make sense? That's a better way to say it. So if you hear that other one, just say, no, that's not really true. Only the heavenly minded will have the patience to continue to be faithful in God's work. Because you know that that's the eventual destination. Now, the third thing, Abraham and Sarah's, God-given power of their faith. Faith is powerful because faith sees the invisible. And they did because they didn't see what was coming. They just waited for it. Here's the inaudible. How did God speak to them? I don't know. Do you know? I have heard twice in my life a little voice back behind me say something then. I didn't hear it. It just was there. And it was real short it was very audible in my mind. So they'd heard it that way, probably. They also touched the intangible. What does that mean? Well, they were touching God. They were, they were walking with him. They could actually feel him, but not really. You know what I mean? And they accomplished the impossible. And one of the main reasons you can say that is, how old was Abraham when, when his son was born? He was 100. How old was Sarah? 90. Now, Sarah lived to be 127, Abraham would be 175, so maybe they'd lived a little longer. So maybe their, their maturity and their aging was a little bit different than us. But I can promise you, 90 years old, for Sarah, it was way past the time of childbirth. Way past. So you ladies, think about that for a little while. I'm sure you have. And you go, whoa. <laughs> no, thank you. Well, Sarah said, this is going to be great. Because yeah. she, she'd been barren her whole life. She'd never had any children. So, it was impossible for Abraham and Sarah to have a child, but they did. Sarah was skeptical at first, but then she was joyful, knowing that it happened. She considered God faithful as one who had promised and she believed. So they had power, God-given power of their faith. Now, the fourth thing is, the positive and constant attitude of faith. Well, there's a bad one <laughs> for me. A positive, you bet. Constant, hardly. I fluctuate a lot. Mm-hmm. Did you know that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob never possessed the promised land? Ever? Never owned a square foot. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did not own any land. It was almost 500 years after Jacob That Israel first began to possess Canaan. Isn't that something? Almost 500 years. Think think through it. Think about what it was. When did Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob live? Roughly 2000 BC. When did they first start possessing the land? When Jacob, excuse me, when Joshua took them across the, the Jordan River. When was that? As far as the timing is concerned. Approximately 1400. BC. They left Egypt in 1442 under Moses. Then they didn't do what God wanted them to do and then wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, right? So it was roughly 1400 BC when they actually crossed the Jordan and went in and possessed the land. When did Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob live? 500 years before that. Yes, sir? In your opinion, you think they you know, I don't know what the exact number of people have come into this country, even in the last year, but it's ballpark. It's you know, ballpark 20 million now. 20 million? Yeah. What percentage of those people do you think and this? In your opinion? It's hard to say. It's hard to say. But because the they came, people coming from South America and from, anywhere. Uh, well, listen to me now. Coming from South America or Middle America, okay, Central America, coming from China, coming from other places over in the Middle East, I'd say brothers and sisters in crime. probably virtually none, almost none. Yeah, I'm sure some have, but very very few. Now, kids mean? came over; they're all all right. We're reading about one. You know how one person is affected. Should we be? I mean, even if it's one person, shouldn't we be praying? We should be praying for all those people to come across. Absolutely. Oh? yeah. I should we be praying for law enforcement officials to get rid of all the criminals. That's what we should be praying yeah. for. We should be praying for all of them to get kicked out of the country, yes. but let them come back into the country the yes. proper way. That's what we should be praying for. Yeah. Praying for their salvation. Absolutely. We should be doing that. Sure. But they came into the country illegally. All of them, 20 million yeah. people. That's ridiculous. Why did they do that? That's 20 million votes. Yeah. Exactly. That's why they give them anywhere from five to $10,000 once they cross the border. Where does that money come from? Your pocket. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) All three of these men died without the promise. Right? But that's not a lament. That's a positive declaration. They came across by faith. Now, no, they didn't see it, but absolutely it happened because God is faithful. It took another 500 years for it to actually happen, but it happened. That's the point. So for the person of faith... God's promise is as good as reality, isn't it? Absolutely. They were happy being strangers and exiles on earth. Why? Because they knew they would inherit heaven eventually. They knew that. That's by faith. They had no problem with that. So as their children would someday inherit God's promised land, so that's true. So they, patriots, honored God and they knew it would happen. They knew it wouldn't happen in their, actually, they probably didn't know it wouldn't happen in their lifetime, but they, they found out that it didn't. So, what's the proof of their faith? That's 17 through 19, where it says, by faith Abraham, when he was put to the test, that means he was actually asked to do something that nobody else would do, leave, travel, resettle in a different land, trust God. While he was put to the test, had already brought Isaac for an offering, who had gladly received and welcomed God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son. What's the situation there? Well, God said, I want you to go and sacrifice to me. Okay, where? I'm going to take you to a place that's going to be very significant in the future, although Abraham didn't know that. Where was he supposed to go? Mount Moriah. Where's Mount Moriah? Jerusalem. Was Jerusalem there at the time? Of course not. There was nothing there. So he went and he said, you and Isaac go, and some men will go with you because you're going to go for a two or three day journey to get there. And then when you get there, I want you to sacrifice. And that's all he told him. Then when he got there, and by the way, uh, if you go back to the Old Testament, the Hebrew words describe Isaac as being a young man, not a kid. He's probably 20 years old. So he was carrying the wood and everything. So he's he's a he's a mature youngster, basically. So when they get there. Abraham says, well, let's go. Isaac and I are going to go up there. You men stay here and we'll come back to you. We will come back to you. So see, he said, I am assured in my own heart that we're both coming back. Then when they got up to the mountain, that's when God said, I want you to sacrifice Isaac. And what do you think Isaac's reaction to that was? (laughs) You notice he didn't run. He didn't say, why are you doing that? He kind of did, but he accepted it. Why he was a godly man, he understood everything that was going on. He understood that God's promise meant him that he would be the father of a of huge number of people, the father of a nation. So he said, if he kills me, God will raise me from the dead. That's what Abraham thought too. So then it says, of whom it is said through Isaac, shall your descendants be reckoned. And it says, verse 19, so he reasoned that God was able to raise him up even from among the dead. That's the first time resurrection was even thought of. So, it says, indeed, in the sense that Isaac was figuratively dead, in other words, he was potentially sacrificed because just about the time he was about to plunge the knife into him, an angel said, stop. He did actually receive him back from the dead, so he was figuratively, so what was he in that case? He was a, he was a type of who? Christ, Jesus, exactly. So what do we get from this? All we see here is the assurance that Abraham had. Abraham had the assurance that was so strong that he figured God would even raise Isaac from the dead. So we go back and we think about uh, Noah illustrated something. He illustrated the duration of faith because he built that ark over 100, 120 years. Abraham shows the depth of faith, the depth meaning even if I had to kill my son, God had raised him from the dead. Okay, That's a difference, duration and depth. See how we're learning from, you know, like I said, from Abel, worshiping, how to worship God. From uh, Enoch, walking with God every single minute and get rewarded for that by being raptured. So Noah it was not only just obeying god it was the depth of obeying god okay or she the duration of obeying god because he had to maintain that faith over many 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 years and then we're getting from Abraham the depth of the faith that he had so Abraham <laughs> believed in resurrection before the dead before it was ever revealed as a doctrine and because we know Isaac became a type of the resurrection because he wasn't slain Then that takes us back to Romans 12 again. Same thing in 12.1 this time. I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, and beg of you, in view of all the mercies of God, to make a decisive dedication of your bodies, presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, holy, well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable, rational, intelligent service and spiritual worship. So that shows us the picture of what we should do, too. So, John Bunyan, I'm going to end with this story about John Bunyan. Who was that guy? He wrote Pilgrim's Progress. He was put in jail for preaching the gospel. So while he was in jail, he was deeply concerned for his family. He had a little daughter who was blind. He was very concerned about her. But however, this is what he wrote. He said, I saw in this condition I was in, I was a man who was pulling down his house upon the head of his wife and children because he was in jail for preaching the gospel. Yet, this I'm reading exactly what he wrote, yet thought I, I must do it, I must do it. The dearest idol I have known, whatever that idol may be, Lord, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. That's faith. So the patriarchs similarly held to the five great strengths of faith, and we should too, and what are those? Number one, pilgrimage. Well, our pilgrimage doesn't have to be distance, it just means separate yourself from the world. That's your pilgrimage. Number two, patience. Wait for God to work, right? Number three, power. You can do the impossible. What's that? You can lead somebody to Christ and give them eternal life through Christ. How about that? That's power. Right? It's positiveness. Focus on God's eternal promises. Disregard all the nonsense that's going on in the world today. Does it really matter to you what happens in the world today? Actually, for you personally, it really doesn't matter. It matters for those who don't know Christ. Because time's getting short. We need to know, we need to tell people about the gospel as much as possible because one of these days rapture is going to happen and all those folks are going to be left behind if they don't know the Lord. And the last one, prove. How do you prove your faith? Obedience and sacrifice. Hardest things in the world anybody human being can ever try to do is obedient, be obedient and sacrifice yourself. Right? Because everybody is sinful, sinful in nature, sin as I am sinful in nature. We all are, but We can be obedient and trust God for what he says he's going to do. What's he going to do next? Best I can see from reading the word as much as we have is the next thing that happens will be the rapture. And will there be a lot of stuff happen after that? Oh, my goodness. You have no idea. Well, yeah, you do, because you can read those things with me. That kind of makes me promote what's going to happen on the 18th of February and the 20th. 5th of February on Sunday nights, because I'm going to go into that. I'm going to talk about the end times, but I'm doing it from a different perspective. You guys, I want you to come and hear it because it's different. Why is it different? It's pointing out the same thing. I've heard so many people, so many preachers talk about lately. I've heard Jack Hibbs talk about it. John MacArthur talk about it. David Jeremiah talk about it. I've seen other people that I can't think of right now. They're all in the same direction. What's that direction? People are not paying any attention to what God's telling them not paying attention to the word, not paying attention to what's going on today, how it affects them and how the time is so short that they have family members, friends, people they know, they're gonna be left behind because it's gonna happen soon. So that's what this is all about. I'm gonna be telling you about that. Deception was the very first thing Jesus told his disciples when they asked him, what will be the signs of the end? What's the very first thing Jesus told them? Deception. he said great deception will come we are living in deception on a daily basis it comes from every direction from every source people lie to us constantly especially that stupid phone right so you've got to be careful and people are not paying attention to that did you know if your kids or grandkids are using tiktok you know who is behind tiktok chinese communist china is that a good place to go? No, it's not. Is Facebook a good place to be? No, it's not. That's—I don't even want to say the guy's name. You know the guy that started that. He started uh, started uh, Snapchat too. Is that any good either? Either one of those two are awful. Do you see some of that uh, when he was standing in front of the congressional committee and you how he comported himself during that time? The man is—he's he's satanic. So what I'm getting at is that's what I'm going to talk about on those two Sunday nights. And, and, and prophecy. What, did Jesus, what else did Jesus say? And he said a lot of things. And I'll talk about that too. But it all applies to us today in great detail. One of the biggest, if not the biggest mistake Christians are making today is simply saying the prophecy is coming, but it doesn't apply to us now. It's something we don't have to really pay that much attention to. And a lot of Christians are saying that today. A lot of preachers are saying that a lot of churches believe that and it's a mistake. It's a big mistake. Yes. I have been told, I've been asked the pastor and I've asked Jamie if they can't simulcast it, if they can't stream it. It's like the Sunday morning service. And they so far I've heard them say yes. So yeah, hopefully. If not, I'm gonna have my phone up there, I can zoom it. I'll record it that way. I May mean, not see the I'll have the presentation and all the slides, and everything will be there, will be where you can get them, but you'll see me talking, so that'll be a good thing. So yeah, I'm going to, it's gonna record it, yes, it will. Yes, ma'am. This uh, lesson in Hebrews, would they Psalm five, verse three in and my voice Lord. Is, For you and watch and wait Psalm 5, Psalm eight, five eight, verse 3. Yeah, I read that yeah. one because it replies to this. I watch and wait I mean, expectantly. does. Verse, absolutely. Expectantly. For a long time. Yeah. right. But it happened. The point is, God fulfilled His promises. Okay. Okay. Anybody else? the too? Yes, No, it happens all the time. Mac and I never talk about that. It happens all the time. And, and Luke certainly and I certainly didn't do that. No, it just happened. It's God doing that, of course it is. That's why I hear all these other preachers doing the same thing. Jack Hibbs is concentrating on that very thing. He's trying to wake everybody up, wake everybody up. It's, it's now, prophecy applies to today. And you need to use that, you need to see that, and you need to tell people about it. Because if you don't, they're gonna be left behind. We don't want that to happen because it's not not nice. 5-3. Yes. They stay that way until the end of the tribulation. And when Jesus returns with us, they get their bodies at that time. That's chapter 20, verse 4 in Revelation. And it refers to Daniel chapter nine. They weren't really saved, no. In the Old Testament, they weren't saved, no. Of course, they went because of their righteousness. That's why Abraham's in heaven. And that's why Isaac and Jacob are in heaven because they their faith was counted unto them as righteousness. In other words, they were seen by God as being totally without sin. So they're in heaven. Yes. Right. But they're not, quote, saved because Jesus didn't die for them at the time they were living. So they're going to get that kind of posthumously. (laughs) They'll get it, though. And they'll serve in the millennial Kingdom just like us. Probably have a much higher position than us, too, because of what they did in the Old Testament. Do you think Abraham is going to be pretty high up there? How about Noah? My goodness, he was the only guy left. Him and his kids. That was it. Wow. That's a big. Okay, let's pray together. Lord God, we do we praise you so much for your word. We thank you for the clarity, for the assurance, for the proof, for the the settled of heart that we have in knowing that your promises are true and will come true, regardless of what we see today and what we hear today. Lord, help us to reject the habits that we've had in the past of listening to the news, listening to experts, listening to people that think they know what they're talking about and don't. Just, we don't need to hear that, Lord. We need to hear your word. We need to hear what you say, not what man says. So, Lord, help us to do that. Help us to reject error. Help us to reject distortion, deception that we see so prominently today. Help us to retain the truth, the real truth, the only truth that exists, and that is you and your word and what we hear from you from your word. Lord, bless you. Thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the wonderful weather we've been having. Thank you for the promise of rain sometime next week. Thank you for just loving us, guiding us, and directing us, providing for us, Lord. You are a magnificent God. We praise you and love you. In Jesus' name, amen.